Welcome to the War from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, send it to me, uh, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Well, today we're going to turn to a couple episodes of a lesser-known series called Heroes of the Merchant Marine. Uh, these aired sometime in 1945, and we're playing episode 2 and episode 10 of the series. Uh, first, the story of Edwin L. Johnson, and then the story of Captain Carl William Jonica. So let's go ahead and take a listen to this great serial, taking a look at some of the courage and valor shown by those who served in a sometimes less appreciated service. Heroes of the Merchant Marine. Heroes of the Merchant Marine, the thrilling true stories of men who are heroes aboard ship. A program salute to the men who serve and live for their country by sailing the world's seaways to deliver to our troops and allies the vital supplies of a victorious new world. Heroes of the Merchant Marine is a series of programs dedicated to America's brave merchant seamen, the everyday common men who are heroes every day they sail the pathways of the world. These are true stories, narrated by Ray Lewis and transcribed from the confidential files of the War Shipping Administration. Thrilling story of Edwin L. Johnson. Here is Ray Lewis. Captain Edwin L. Johnson was a master mariner. And master mariner was not an empty title for Edwin Johnson. He had earned the rank. He had earned it during a lifetime spent on the sea, on ships that he loved. And he earned the rank of master mariner all over again on a certain night. The night of our story. The night that Captain Edwin L. Johnson made a sucker out of a Nazi sub. And this is the story. Do you remember back to the early days of the war? Back to the days when Germany had shackled a continent and was making an ocean into a graveyard for merchant seamen? It seems so long ago now. No more than three years ago. But a long time, nevertheless. A lot of water and blood has gone under the bridge since the Battle of the Atlantic. And many a gold star has testified for many a recaptured town since the spring of 1943. Looking at the papers these days, it's hard to realize that just a little more than two years ago, a man was taking his life in his hands by sailing the Atlantic and inviting a social call from a thin, sleek killer with torpedoes in his lungs for the ship. 
and machine guns on his decks for the seamen who escaped the flaming oil that marked the grave of their murdered ship. Only a little more than two years ago, and times have changed. Changed thanks to many men living and dead. Men of different colors and different uniforms and different names, but men of the same mighty purpose, fighting the same killer wherever he may be, in the air, on land, or on the sea. Men such as Captain Edwin L. Johnson, the master mariner who outsmarted and killed a Nazi sub, using as his weapon the SS Columbian, his ship. There were two days and a night out on the North Atlantic alone, carrying vital supplies to our Russian allies in Murmansk. The German tide had been stemmed at Stalingrad just a few months before, and Russia needed supplies. She needed food and guns and munitions, and she needed them right away if she was to roll back the Nazi millions who had been stopped at the Volga. And that was where the SS Columbian and her captain and crew came in. They were one of many a merchant ship loaded with supplies for the Red Army. But on this certain trip, the Columbian was unescorted. All by herself on the rolling North Atlantic, she rated no escort vessels, no convoy, no minesweepers or destroyers to mother her along. No pleasant company for the Columbian on this trip. Just a shipload of disaster addressed to Germany to be delivered by way of Murmansk. That was all the Colombian had on that trip. Vital war supplies, a course set for that Russian port, and all around her the blue-green ocean. A broad, turbulent world of ocean surrounding her, threatening to toss up at any moment a Nazi wolf pack of undersea killers. Only the ocean and the threat of German subs to keep her company. This was the SS Columbian on her way to Murmansk. It was dusk, cold and quiet. Captain Johnson had seen thousands of dusks such as this one during his years at sea. The sharp wind spanked the tops of the waves, peppering the sea with flying foam. The setting sun played on the ocean with little glaring pools of orange light shifting with the rolls of the sea. The lookout sitting in the crow's nest cursed the blinding blob of light nestling just above the horizon. For how is anybody supposed to keep a sharp lookout for the thin line of an Nazi periscope with that orange ball of light needling your eyes with that fiery glare? But no matter. Lookout has to be sharp has to be constant. Lookout can never let up. Who knows when that white feather of foam will turn up? Who knows when or where the subs appear? Who knows? It's a race, that's what it is. A race between us, big as a half a dozen houses, and them, small and thin and skirting around somewhere below the sea, waiting for us. Just the ship, the ocean, the setting sun, the wind, and the Nazis, somewhere below the sea, waiting. And suddenly... Periscope off the starboard bow! General quarters sounded. Every man on board the Columbian was alert, ready, and watching. Every eye watching the tossing, glaring sea off there at the right. Watching for the telltale gleam of a thin metal line churning a narrow, feathery wake. Yes, there it was. A periscope off the starboard bow. And now the desperate race really gets underway. Captain Johnson will have to shake off the sub. Lose him by zigzagging the ship's course in a furious life-or-death race. This means full speed ahead. And it means twisting and turning all night till the Columbian loses the sub. Or the sub gets the Columbian. Captain Johnson issues his orders. Put your helm hard a port. Full speed ahead. Hold on ten. Aye, sir. On ten. The sun lingering at the rim of the horizon outlines the ship with a ruddy glow, making the SS Columbian a bright orange shape as viewed by periscope a few hundred yards distant. A very lovely sight indeed. Give her everything you get. Keep pouring it on. I want all the steam you got. It's full speed ahead and keep it that way. I don't care if it rattles the timbers. Keep it going. They got the shred of view from that periscope. 
Nothing but open ocean and us. And the setting sun turning a searchlight on us. Light a yay course. We'll alter our course at two, six, and eight minutes. Try to keep that sub well under a stern. This is no easy job trying to outsmart a Nazi submarine. He's on your tail. We can see you clearly. And all you can do is change your big ship's course every two, six, and eight minutes. Trying to shake off the sub and praying for night's sheltering blackness. Hour after hour of zigzagging in the darkness. Hour after hour of watching the inky sea for sign of the periscope. Hour after hour of waiting. Alert, tense, electrified waiting for the terrible roar and blast of the torpedo. Ready and waiting somewhere in that darkness to hit home and hit hard. Hour after hour of waiting. Twenty-three thirty. Looks like we're shaking him off, sir. We can only hope so. He might have caught up with us. Darkness is too thick for to know for sure. Better change the course again. Put it on uh, three forty. Aye, sir. Three forty it is. How are your engine rooms holding up, Mister James? We have to hold up for a few hours. Got to put plenty of distance between us and the sub. All right, Mr. Johnson. Engines are holding up all right, sir. That's good. Seconds drag into long minutes. Long minutes drag into long hours. And the SS Columbian flies through the darkness on a zigzag course to Murmansk. Every man aboard is still wondering about the thin black shape out there in the blackness. Wondering how it feels to be blown sky high by a sneaking torpedo. Long, very long hours. 12.30, sir, and all's well. Red, change course to 15 and hold that course. Submarine off port bow! Submarine off port bow! Still there, only a few hundred yards away from the stern of the boat was the submarine. The long hours of zigzagging, speeding through the darkness had not shaken them. They were there. The sleek black sub already surfaced. And bearing down on the Columbian with all their deck guns blazing away at the merchant ship. This was it. Commercial vessel against attacking sub. And it was up to Captain Johnson completely. It was his ship. He'd have to fight the sub with his merchant ship. General quarters were sounded. Battle stations were manned. This was a moment for a master mariner. And Captain Johnson was ready. Hard the starboard and keep it that way. He had the ship's stern swung over toward the sub. Then orders to the man manning the deck guns. Hold your fire in the stern gun tub. Put that helm all the way over the helmsman. The rear of the Columbian swung in a sharp curve toward the blazing guns of the sub. The captain remembered that line about not firing till you see the whites of their eyes. He had a plan, but not much time. The stern of the ship was getting closer and closer to the sub. That's right. Bring it under the stern, that's it. This has got to work. Straighten her out, helmsman. Straighten her out. Hard left rudder. The Columbian stern was right alongside the attacking sub. It was up to the gun crew now. Stern gun, fire when ready. And the stern gun fired when ready, when good and ready, when it was almost right on top of the sub. And it hit home, a dead shot right below the Nazi conning tower. Another shot from the Colombian, hitting the sub squarely from point-blank range. And the German undersea killer was very, very quiet. Unless they miss my guest helmsman, he's not going to give us much trouble from here on. Hold the course you're on now for two minutes, then swing to 20 degrees. Here, let me have those binoculars for a minute. No, I don't think we have much to fear from that pig boat any longer. I think Mormansk is going to be the prettiest sight I've seen in a long, long time. For outsmarting that Nazi submarine, for aiming his huge merchant ship at the thin killer, 
and for not firing till he saw the whites of their eyes, for proving so courageously his rank of master mariner, Captain Edwin L. Johnson received from the President of the United States the Merchant Marine Distinguished Service Medal with this citation. For distinguished service in the line of duty. At dusk, an enemy submarine was sighted off the starboard bow. Course was immediately changed to put it astern, and various courses were set during the night to elude pursuit. These measures were unsuccessful against the enemy's superior surface speed, and at midnight, the submarine was sighted on the port bow, headed directly for the ship, and opening fire with all its deck guns as it came in. In an adept maneuver, the ship was swung, bringing the submarine close astern. Then the order was given for a hard left rudder to check the swing, and the ship's stern gun chaser went into action. The first shot was a direct hit just below the submarine's conning tower at point-blank range of not more than 200 yards. Quickly reloading, the stern gun registered another hit. From then on, there was no response from the submarine. When last seen, it was lying at right angles to the ship's course and settling low astern. Captain Johnson's alert leadership and expert seamanship, so largely instrumental in saving his own ship and in seriously damaging the submarine, are in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Merchant Marine. For the President, signed Emery Scotland, Chairman. <laughs> Johnson, Master Mariner, which you have just heard, was one in a series of Heroes of the Merchant Marine. Program salutes to our brave merchant seamen as transcribed from the confidential files of the War Shipping Administration. Merchant Marine. Heroes of the Merchant Marine, the thrilling true stories of the men who are heroes aboard ship. A program salute to our men who serve and live for their country by sailing the world's seaways to deliver to our troops and allies the vital supplies of a victorious new world. Marine is a series of programs dedicated to America's brave merchant seamen, the everyday common men who are heroes every day they sail the pathways of the world. These are true stories with Ray Lewis as narrator and transcribed from the confidential files of the War Shipping Administration. 
the story of Captain Carl William Janicki, Master Mariner. Lower away, bosun! Just one more boat, Hardy. The ship's still going down? Aye, sir. Slowly, sir. Very slowly. But she's going down nevertheless. Last boat's ready. Just the gun crew on us. That's all that's left, sir. And the ship's settling, almost half in the water. Well, if a sub's not around, then we're not running. We leave the ship, right? Right, sir. Let's get in, then. Are you standing up here being sentimental? Gun crew! Abandon stations! End of the lifeboats, will you? All set, Hardy? All ready, sir. Well, into the boats. May you go down easy, West Hardaway. May you go down easy. Lower away! Hello, man. Wait! Sir? Wait! Look! There's a ship there. Don't pull away yet. Look, Hardy, look close. The ship. Yeah? He stopped settling. She stopped settling. You know what that means, Hardy? What, sir? That means we're going aboard. And we're going to man our guns. And if we can't get those engines to move, at least we can wait for the next Nazi pig boat to show its ugly snout above the water and blast the rotten thing back to the bottom of the sea where it came from. That's what it means, Mr. Hardy. Gun crew! Get on those lines! Get back to your ship! Follow me! We're going to give the Nazis a surprise party. We're not giving up our ship. Not by a long sight. This is the story of that captain who wouldn't give up his ship and who planned a little surprise party for a German sub. His name is Carl William Janicki. Master Mariner of the United States Merchant Marine, Captain of the SS West Hardaway. And in between voyages, when he's home in Philadelphia, he's quite a handsome sight when he and his wife go for their quiet walks down the neighborhood streets. The four gold stripes on his sleeves and the golden scrambled eggs on the visor of his officer's cap seem to blend well with his solid 6'2 frame his ruddy, sharp-featured face, and his gray hair. 
He and his wife spend most of his leaves taking long, leisurely walks, during which he tells her about the big and the little things that went on during the last voyage. And she tells him about their home and about her rationing troubles and how their two-year-old grandson can say Grandpa is a big captain and how he should take those pills the doctor gave him regularly while at sea. And he promises and proceeds to forget all about it. Yes, Captain Carl Janicki liked his leaves in Philadelphia with his wife in between voyages. But once he's on his ship with a new cargo loaded and a new course charted and a new port as is their destination, there's an old yet very new light in his pale blue eyes. A light which any seagoing man will recognize. For in it is the love of his second home, the sea. We had just landed in Normandy and were stalemated around Saint-Lô. Our troops needed supplies and needed them right away. There was still the chance that the Nazis would push us back into the sea. And our men in Normandy needed supplies and needed them desperately. Captain Janicki's quiet visit in Philadelphia was suddenly interrupted. His ship, the West Hardaway, was speedily loaded. And soon they were at sea, headed for Normandy, heavily crammed with vital supplies. They were only two days away from the French coast. So far, there had been no sign of Germany's quickly vanishing undersea force. It was ten o'clock on a very brightly moonlit night. Captain Janicki had just come onto the bridge on a tour of inspection when suddenly... Submarine surfacing on starboard bow! Captain Janicki leaped to the public address microphone and shouted his orders to the crew. Battle stations! Man your battle stations! Gun crew! Open fire! Open fire! And don't cease firing till you see her go down! But the sub struck the first blow and hit the west part away hard. Too hard. Where did they get us, Hardy? Number three hole, sir. Go down there and check the damage and report right back to me. Aye, sir. Here comes another one. Missed. Missed by ten yards. We can't expect luck like that all night. Check on that number three hold, Hardy. Aye, sir. Gun crew! Commence firing! We're not going down yet! Keep firing till you get that sub and don't stop for anything! The sub started to submerge, but the gun crews wouldn't stop firing. Only a few feet of that Nazi conning tower were above water when the... There were telltale explosions that told the men of the West Hardaway that they'd had their revenge. As Captain Janicki looked with satisfaction at the widening circle of oil marking the grave of that German sub, Hardy came running up to the bridge. Captain, sir, there's a hole big enough for number three for a sub to go in through. We're settling, settling slow, but sure. We're going down. I know. Look at the bow. Look, even while you're talking. Yep, it's almost in the water. It's the only thing to do. <laughs> With every man aboard the West Hardaway hating the job, the ship was abandoned. Lifeboats were filled and lowered away. Captain Janicki saw that the job was carried out well. And when the job was almost finished... Just one more boat, Hardy. The ship's still going down? Aye, sir. Slowly, sir. Very slowly. But she's going down nevertheless. Last boat's ready. Just the gun crew and us. That's all that's left, sir. And the ship's settling. Almost half of her in the water. If a sub's not around, then we're not running from her if we leave the ship, right? Right, sir. 
And let's get in. No use standing here being sentimental. Gun crew! Abandon stations! Into the lifeboats with you! You all set, Hardy? All ready, sir. Well, into the boats! May you go down easy, West Hardaway. May you go down easy. Lower away! Pull away, man. Wait! Sir? Wait, look. The ship. Don't pull away yet. Look, Hardy, look close. The ship. She stopped settling. She stopped settling. You know what that means, Hardy? What, sir? That means we're going aboard. And we're going to man our guns. And if we can't get those engines to move, at least we can wait for the next Nazi pig boat to show its ugly snout above the water and blast the rotten thing back to the bottom of the sea where it came from. That's what it means, Mr. Hardy. Gun crew, get on those lines. Get back to your ship. Follow me. We're going to give the Nazis a surprise party. We're not giving up our ship. Not by a long sight. Back to their stricken ship went the crew. Not to sail away but to fight, to wait for the enemy, wait with loaded and ready guns. And every man of the West Hardaway realized that in wartime, a cargo ship is a warship and must do its share of fighting with the rest of them. And so, with the bow of their ship half submerged in water, the captain and his crew returned to their ship to wait for more Nazis. Submarine off port bow! Gun crew, open fire! surfaced about 500 yards from the merchant ship and returned the Hardaway's fire. It was a pitched battle, stricken ship and sub, their guns blazing. The sub weaved around the ship. The Hardaway's deck guns kept pouring out shells that kept the sub at a distance. For an hour, the pitched battle raged without a letter. Nazi sub, an American merchant ship, trading blazing blows face to face. And then the sub was forced to submerge. And within seconds... Another torpedo had hit home, and the entire forward deck of the valiant fighting ship crashed in. Captain Jonicky and his men had fought all they could. The ship was going down too quickly to think of anything else but... Abandon ship! Abandon ship! Ten men to the boat! Get away from those guns, boys! It's a matter of seconds for the ship. We've given them all we have. We can't do any more. Step lively now. Not to look back at his dying ship, Captain Janicki equalized the 50 men and his crew between the lifeboats, and all were quickly lowered away. They headed for the nearest land, following the captain's calculations. And two days later, they were sighted off the tiny bit of French coast then held by the Allies. They had lost not a man. After all, Captain Carl William Janicki was a master mariner. And for proving so nobly his right to that high rank, the President of the United States presented Captain Janicki with the Merchant Marine Distinguished Service Medal with this citation. For distinguished service in the line of duty, two torpedoes were fired, one hitting the number three hold on the starboard side and the other a miss streaking across the bow ten yards away. And then the citation told the story of the heroic return to the stricken vessel and the gallant fight with the second undersea Nazi raider, the story which you have just heard. And it ends by saying, Captain Janicki's determination to fight for his ship until the end 
and his capable leadership of a well-trained crew were in keeping with the finest traditions of the United States Merchant Marine. For the president, signed Emery Scott Land, chairman. Carl William Janicki, Master Mariner, which you have just heard, was one in a series of Heroes of the Merchant Marine. Program salutes to our brave merchant seamen as transcribed from the confidential files of the War Shipping Administration. I welcome your story or that of loved ones who served during World War II. Ken Curlin provides our opening theme music, KenCurlin.com. I am your host, Adam Graham. This uh, series is provided as a service of the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio, GreatDetectives.net. <laughs>